Hi, I'm Chelsea, one of the youth directors here at Bloomingdale Church, and you're listening to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman, and I'm your moderator, and I am joined once again by Easter trivia champion Dan Marcello. Hello. <laughs> if we clap for him every week, we will never till, get through this. Till next oh Easter. I thought that was so Easter. funny when I was listening to last week's. I forgot about the applauding. <laughs> it's all Bill. It's just Bill clapping. Well, we joined him. We did. Uh, worship director Scott Reed, Hello. hold your applause. Oh. Hello. <laughs> Associate pastor Bill Calvin. Glad to be here. <laughs> and special guest, what's happening? And special guest, Pastor Amber Marcello. Hi, everybody. We should clap. Uh, we yeah. should, when we have special guests, we That's should right. There we go. Thank For you sure. Give them a rousing welcome. With that incredibly welcoming uh, applause. Hold your applause, please. Would you pray for us real quick? Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you for a time to talk about what you do in people's lives. We thank you for the chance to be able to learn as a community, even online. I pray that you would put the right people on this podcast to listen, that they would grow, be encouraged. And if they're feeling some sort of nudging to to do something about their faith, to become a leader, to to mentor, whatever that might be, I pray that that, that would happen. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, Scott, what do you got for us? All right. So today is going to be a little bit different, would you rather? We're going to have one question for each person. Um, Dan, topical question. Would you rather spend your newly acquired small stimulus check fortune living your absolute dream or allowing your mother to live hers? Doesn't your mom listen to this show? She might be listening. I would let my mom live her dream. She she sacrificed a lot to raise me. Very patient and loving and kind. Her, her, I think her paradise would be doing lots of puzzles. So, twelve hundred dollars worth of puzzles. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Bill, for your occupation, would you rather be a living but stationary lawn decoration at highbrow parties, <laughs> <laughs> or, or for your occupation, stand on the curb in a silly costume and wave to traffic for a fast food restaurant? Oh, wave, wave to traffic. <laughs> You'd be such a good lawn decoration. Though. You wouldn't be able to move. I would have anything. him at all my parties. Be like, there's Bill, and he's just like a bunch of spotlights on him, and he's just kind of like standing there. Hey, guys. All right. I'm sorry, wait, why would you want to wave? Well, he didn't ask, but at least there's action. you got a different thing to look at all the time because of the cars coming by. True. Uh, Amber, would you rather win $100,000 at age 20 or win $10 million at age 60? I think I would take at 60 so I could learn hard work and then bless a lot of people. Probably. Oh, all right. That's a good answer. And where's the last one? All right, Max. Would you rather have to use a toilet that is unbelievably <laughs> filthy and gross or use one that's clean but has one dozen small jumping fish in it? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Oh, um, <laughs> do they bite? <laughs> they yeah, what do we know about the fish? Uh, At least you could stand. I think they're just small and they jump. Yeah, they seem. I think they're, they're friendly. You, probably. I think they're saying hi. I would <laughs> say the gross toilet hmm. because 
it's got less living things in it. That has way more living things in it, probably. Uh, that's fair enough. You just can't see them. I can't see them. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Max Terman way. Um, before we get into the topic of the week, and before we get to our sponsor, it's time for listener mail. Scott, will you please ring the listener mail bell? Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would-you-rathers, trivia quizzes, etc. to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org, just like Judy did. Judy says, in Exodus, God provides the following recipe for anointing oil. Exodus 30, uh, 22 to 25 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, take the following fine spices, 12 and a half pounds of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is six and a quarter pounds of fragrant cinnamon, Six and a quarter pounds of fragrant calamus, 12 and a half pounds of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and one gallon of olive oil. Make these things into sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer. It will be the sacred anointing oil. These ingredients are still available today, and we still anoint for multiple purposes. Why have we reverted to only using olive oil? I hope you enjoy this topic. Judy, Bill, (laughs) what is going on here? I'm glad we switched over to olive oil. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there was a purpose for why they had to have this formula for the tabernacle, but I don't think Jesus was real concerned that that continue on, Hmm. and I don't think we should be either. And I think the word for oil, anoint, like you look in the New Testament, the verses that talk about being anointed, like I don't think it's specific to like that anointing oil either. Like the text, I don't think, points to that. Mm. Of like, you must use this oil only. Yeah, I can see why there's a concern on her part. Sure, and it's because I think it's Leviticus ten, where Nadab and Abihu offer a strange sacrifice, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. a strange incense, mm. and fire comes down from heaven and consumes them. It shows that God wanted strict obedience, particularly from the priests, not to just be freelancing and coming up with your own stuff and showing him disrespect by doing that. So her question's taken with a serious mindset on my part, too. It, yeah. It, it wasn't a foolish question. It, no, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's grounded in something real serious. And so much of the Bible, especially when the Old Testament in regards to that, is when God had certain specifics it wasn't always just to be legalistic there were purposes behind it what not to eat how and how it affects your body certain oils do have certain ability to disinfect to Hmm. antifungal all sorts of stuff that that the lord was actually protecting them and preventing i mean when pretty much is the bible it helps us prevent all the (laughs) if we actually did what god said we'd be preventing so many Mm -hmm. unnecessary and hmm. dramas. So. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Judy, for the question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, let's get into the topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you by the BC Youth 264 YouTube channel. That's BC Youth mm. 264, all one word. Bloomingdale's youth group has a YouTube channel. Content is posted weekly to help teens and their families know Jesus more deeply and to showcase the ever-growing quarantine hair that Daniel Wright is sporting. BC Youth 264, (laughs) all one word, posting every week on YouTube. He's kind of catching up to you and your triple hair, Scott. Uh, Topic of the week. This week we are uh, continuing our series on pastorship. Um, Last week we talked about ordination, and, and this week... 
Uh, we've got Pastor Amber in the room um, <laughs> to talk about consecration. So let me start off with the most obvious question. What is consecration? In our denomination, it is the same as for men in the sense of you are going through a process of being uh, trained and mentored. You're learning, you're growing so that you can be an effective leader where God puts you. Okay. Would you say there's any substantial difference between it and ordination? Yes and no. So I did my process in New York and that it was the exact same process for, for men. Uh, in fact, on my paper, it says ordination consecration. I read the same books, Every Man's Battle. Um, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was huh. the second person in the district to have ever been um, consecrated, and I, the youngest. Oh, and wow. I, was, I was among all men in the, in the coaching clusters every month. I was, I was alone, but I was doing everything that they sure. were doing. But it was super helpful and incredibly I learned a lot to to be able to serve and go and do. Yeah. What was that like to be the only woman, the second person to go through consecration? Mm-hmm. What but. was it like? Probably more awkward for everybody else than for me. <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad in some regards because in our in our district in New York, they had something called coaching clusters, and I, I don't think it exists in this one. Um, every month, all the pastors would get together, and they would pray, and it's kind of accountability. You'd... You have certain questions from the, the DS, you, all sorts of stuff that would happen. But I'm pretty sure that they couldn't talk about what they would normally want to talk about being men twice my age or people that, you sure. know, are having legitimate pastoral struggles where I was on a, a missionary track and mm. a um, youth director. And But they were so gracious with me and um, they were kind. They, they always asked me, do you have any questions this week about your consecration? Can I help you answer things? They were drawing diagrams on napkins and so you were going through that process in a church in new york Mm -hmm. what was your role in the church during that time i was technically a missionary candidate okay i was a youth director and the church opened up a cafe where we do outreach so i was everything from a egg flipper teaching classes at night mentoring with youth and then i was just everywhere in the church learning everything i possibly could how to i was on the governing board i was on women's group, I was just soaking it in because at the time on the missionary track, I didn't know what I'd be doing on the field hmm. and I just wanted to know know it all. And so kind of always helping and always in the background learning. Sure. So you're in a program that's, you know, pretty much all men. Was your mentor a, a man as well? Technically, I was assigned a pastor's wife from the church that I was working in. Um, but okay. the, the two of them oversaw my okay. my process. Did you get to see like the process of consecration start to inform the ministry as you were like doing it? Could you see a difference in the way that you were doing the ministry from you know when you started to when you were done? Oh yeah. For example, if you sit long enough with the teenagers, they have all sorts of questions. They're really battling and trying to figure out what their life was like. And they would always come up with zingers like, how do you know this? And I had 202 questions of the Bible, everything. How many times is the Trinity mentioned in the Bible? Things that I had to know by heart for these um, exams at the end of consecration that came in incredible. I mean, it was it saved my life on some of those ones where they just come out of nowhere, perhaps kind of like today's question. Like, the, <laughs> you know, what? how do I answer that? So yeah. it was good. Good stuff. Let me open it up, you know, to the whole table if consecration and ordination are basically identical, why have 
two identical uh, processes, one for women, one for men, especially if in Amber's case, you know, she's going through the same training clusters, the same small group, the same mentorship process as a lot of these men, sometimes alongside them, sometimes in the same group. Like why bother splitting that, historically speaking? Well, you're looking at me, so I guess I should speak up. <laughs> you're the resident LONCC expert. Yeah, true. The, the difficulty is something we all see. You don't need to even be the district superintendent to see it. It's women are gifted for ministry. Women are called. Women are real valuable in the ministry. And when you're starting a church like Nancy and I did, you need all the help you can get. You don't say, well, but she's a woman. Mm -hmm. It's just like... Thank you for helping. And yet at the same time, you have these verses in the Bible, like 1 Timothy chapter 2, I do not allow a woman to teach. And it's just so blunt. You think, okay. But then there's other passages in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. They're prophesying in the church. Women are told to cover their head as they prophesy. And you have Priscilla teaching Apollos and well, what were they really doing? And it's the same Apostle Paul. It's not like, well, I changed my mind today. That, no, that's just too shallow of an answer. So the CMA, we believe in the Bible. We take it very seriously. And yet we're going to the outermost parts of the earth with the gospel. And sometimes the person there at the edge of the earth with the gospel is a woman, and she plants churches, and she lays hands on people, they get healed, she's preaching sermons, and then she comes back to the United States, and she's there as a missionary that everyone respects. Oh, but you can't preach a sermon here. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, what is wrong with us? That's one reaction. The other reaction is, but it's in the Bible. Yeah, it is. So what do you do? And so even though we all know it's an imperfect answer, we say, let's... Let's ordain the men, and let's consecrate the women, and it's the same work. The poignancy of it is, I remember being on the committee. We had just finished interviewing Laura, a legend in missions work. She passed the consecration interview, and then just very wistfully said, I wish it was ordination. It would make it so much easier for me on the mission field. Because the government wants to see REV in front of a name. That's what they're looking for. And mm -hmm. you can't go into this long song and dance. Well, consecration, same thing. I read the same books. It's just like, I, we don't want to hear it. Just are, are you ordained or not? So that's, that's the quagmire that's created. And I have my guess as to what's going to happen. That Maybe 10 years from now, Christian Missionary Alliance is going to say, okay, now we're going to ordain women. And all of you ladies who've been or consecrated, you are automatically ordained. Just sign this piece of paper, and you can have REV in front of your name. And the ones on the foreign field are going to say, good, this is making my life so much easier. And the ones in America, they're probably going to be in a quandary mm -hmm. you know, because maybe they just feel awkward about it all. So it, it, it's a sticky subject. For sure. It really is. And no one's ever come up with an answer that we just say, yep, that's great. Now we all know what to do. It only took us 2,000 years, but now we know. <laughs> were you uh, able to preach, Amber, when you were working in New York? Was that? I was 
it was part of my requirement okay. to actually have graded sermons. But I, I love the fact that consecration gave me all these tools to help me become better, especially in performance things like that, like because mm. I need it. But I'm glad that I'm not forced to be a, the main pastor of a church. I, I love being a supporting role, but having been equipped to to help in a better way. But I was forced to <laughs> preach, and um, I can still picture the one guy in the back with his face like, I wonder what's actually coming out of my mouth. Because <laughs> 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 oh, I get so nervous when I preach and when I have to talk in front of a microphone. A classroom is different, but yeah. man, those microphones amplify my my nervousness. <laughs> <laughs> one time you, you actually had to preach three times and then your mentor wasn't there for one and said, it doesn't count because I wasn't there. You got to do it another time. <laughs> I was in tears, man. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you knew her at the time, Dan. Yes. Yeah, so when... So I knew her the whole time that she was in the process. Did you two go through the process at the same time? No. Okay. Basically, she was finishing. She finished the year we got married, two thousand eight. Uh, probably bef- right before we got married. Right, we were we were like two months away from the. It was like May, March. Well, it's all blurring together. March two thousand eight. Yeah. Then we got married in May two thousand eight. So and then, you know, this Christian Missionary Alliance wanted to send us here so I can go to Wheaton College and get experience. Mm. And so they were like, "Well, don't get ordained there. You know, wait till you go to Illinois." So you got ordained here? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. We're, <laughs> if the two of you will humor me, what was like, you're married to someone who's already gone through the same process. Was that like a huge benefit or like? It was helpful for me to like be in her interview because they had me be there. And they didn't ask me like any questions. They got sure. to the end like, what's your favorite thing about your wife? <laughs> oh, but like, they oh. grilled me in this one. I had to be in his and they were like chesting all of my my knowledge really? and my personal life to make sure that I was gonna <laughs> Really? <laughs> yeah. I just wanted his question. <laughs> Check out one What's question. So nice about your husband. <laughs> but it was nice to it took the mystery out of it for me of like, okay, hmm. like what is this gonna be like? And like what are the expectations? Like I walked with her through it all. Sure. From beginning to end and kind of just made me less nervous. Yeah. Maybe not about the final exam but yeah. at least about the the whole process in general and it was helpful mm-hmm. to bounce the ideas off for like writing this paper does this make sense yeah no you might want to tweak that so it, we've it always been a team he helped me a lot like he spent hours quizzing me on these because i i had to know things memorize sure. them I, I couldn't use a bible to marked up i couldn't go to the reference page i had to have it in my brain wow and he spent hours and hours just drilling me. What is this? What is that? Help me. You know, it wow. was great. So he was, it was wonderful. I'm glad mm-hmm. we we get to do ministry together. Yeah, absolutely. Last week, Bill, you mentioned that it used to be all oral. It used to be. Mm-hmm. Now, Amber, that wasn't the case for you. Was <laughs> this is it? the worst. It was? It was all oral? Just, just to no, give no, you, no. oh, okay. Just to no, give you a clue. No, she got out of the test was weeping uncontrollably and we had to go somewhere and <laughs> walk and calm down and then she ended up doing fine. I thought I was going <laughs> to fail. She thought she was going to fail. They didn't let me do this written exam that they said typically takes eight plus hours on a computer. I had to handwrite all of it. Ooh. So the first three hours of short answer and um, like short essay stuff was all easy. Okay. And at least I could use a pencil, but the I forget how many essays. I have to look it up, but there was like 12 essays or something that I had to all write by hand. Sure. And oh, I was just hours were you know checking. And you didn't off. have as much time as you thought you were gonna Anytime have. Anytime I had so. to like update, I either had to start a new page or erase. Oh, it was yeah. by the end of it. I think I took over eight hours, and I I didn't actually finish every essay. I think I was too short. 
but I, I couldn't do it. I, I'd spent from more sunrise to sunset. And my mentor was like, I gotta, I gotta get going here. <laughs> so I, I left that crying. I'm like, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to pass this. I'm not going to get to go to the mission field. That's probably a little bit more than I should have been, but <laughs> you did fine, but they passed me yeah. <laughs> even though I was too short. Is it unusual for a, a, a missionary couple to be both pastors? I'm just going to call you a pastor. I hope that's okay. It Amber. is actually because traditionally up until recently, only the men were required to be in that process. Okay. And the reason why I was even in the process is I was on the track to become a, a missionary and thinking I was going to be single. Sure. Until yeah, I and met she was single Dan, when she started. So I met right. Dan mm -hmm. on a missions trip, and then okay, it all it all came out to a beautiful history of us falling in love. But I still just <laughs> I had the option at that point to to not do it because it wasn't required of me. I still had to have a bachelor's. I still had to go through a lot of the other steps of of training and being part of a church. But I didn't have to actually finish it. But I chose to. And so you, you wouldn't find an average missionary couple with a woman actually consecrated. Okay. So and now they don't even require it mm -hmm. in, in certain cases, depending on where you go. So it's unusual. It's, un it's completely unusual to have a okay. woman consecrated. In, in Latin sure. America, like yeah. Like missionary, like missionary pastors in Latin America, like it's, generally, it's not uncommon for people to refer to the lady as like la pastora, like okay. the lady pastor. Okay. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that they don't always have the same role. Usually it's more of a supporting it role. It just means I mean, sometimes they the preach. wife of the pastor. Sometimes really. they preach. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I, I really love supporting other people. I feel like I'm called to help lift other leaders up to do a better job. Yeah. How does being consecrated help you in that? How does it, how does it equip you better to support? Well, it's, it's great to, be, we're, to have this knowledge because I'm often helping teach classes. I'm... I'm sitting in with the people that we counsel. People come knocking on our door, calling us. Like, often women want to talk to women, mm -hmm. and or if someone wants to talk to Dan, I can be in there with him, and mm -hmm. and we can work together. So there's a, the ability to to serve with knowledge, not just wishful thinking or pushing personal agenda that I that I don't have enough foundation on. She's a great help to me. I'm just saying that because she's my wife and she's sitting over here by me, but she's a great help in. In like every area of ministry, whether like she said, teaching classes, counseling, help giving me ideas for sermons, and working together on that process. Of, sure. Like she's just a very talented person. Yeah. And I appreciate. I've really benefited from the supporting role. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without her. Mm. Yeah. Vice versa. <laughs> the only other thing I really want to touch on um, before we move on is kind of going back to what you were talking a little bit about, Bill with sort of the changing nature of women in the CMA and um, I'll just like get a running start. So like a, like <laughs> a month and a half ago, we were, Scott talked about the Mormons and he mm -hmm. talked about this, this ability uh, believing in, in continuous revelation. revelation. And so this sort of ability to say like, ah, the word of God has evolved. We now, you know, can handle things differently. We can adapt to the sociopolitical climate that we exist in. Um, what does the future look like for consecration and ordination? And if we're really excited about the future of ordination and consecration, why has it taken a while to get there? 
He gets the hard one. I'll tell you. <laughs> and I would love to hear you guys chime in on this too, because you, all three of you, all four of you have, have been, you know, related to the CMA for a long time, in some cases, generations. And, and I think it's a really challenging question for Christians for the exact reasons you laid out of saying we have First Timothy, but we also have First Corinthians. And and different denominations have handled it differently, and and I just want to know, you know, what your thoughts okay. are. This is something that I've been hearing about for over ten years. Yeah, I remember going to some district conferences, and there were some pretty vocal people saying, like, I don't know why that this was ten years ago or more. That it's and that's my limited experience. Yeah. I'm sure it's not a new thing. And you got to take the broader context. I'm thinking of my mother would have liked to have been in the workforce. But society said, no, you have to stay home with your children. You have a husband. He's going to earn the money. You raise children. But she was bored. It came out real bluntly one time. I said, Mom, how is it that Sherry and I were toilet trained at 18 months? She says, oh, I was just bored. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) And and then when we got to be old enough to be pretty much on our own, I, I was 14, Sherry had to be institutionalized because of her mental retardation. Then my mom went into the workforce, and, and she, she really had to work hard because she's keeping up a home and she's a full-time worker. That was society. And then society started changing in the late 60s, early 70s, and women started going into the workforce. And because a church doesn't usually move as fast as the rest of society, another 20, 30 years go by. And now women are coming from Christian homes in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Mm -hmm. In particular, they're coming from pastors' homes and district superintendents' homes, and they want to go into the ministry. And so some of the brightest young women were leaving the CMA in droves, Mm -hmm. and it was breaking everybody's heart. The the Mm -hmm. young women wanted to stay with the CMA. Their parents wanted them to stay with the CMA. But we had this rule of you, you can't be a pastor. And in those days, that's pretty much all you had. You didn't have staffs. Right. You can't be a pastor. And so they would move on to the Assembly of God or to the Southern Baptist Convention or the United Methodist Church, and they would pastor. And they, they would really be happy about it, and their parents were proud of them. And so I remember being there in 1987 at the Centennial general counsel of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they said, we are losing our daughters. We've got to figure out what to do. And so Mm. they came up with this consecration plan. And that that didn't happen instantly. This took a Mm. few years to come about also. But that was a bridge to where I think it's going to go, that the day is coming when they're going to say, you know, we feel that we should ordain these women. Mm -hmm. And... I think it's pretty inevitable. Sure. That's what's going to happen. And so previously in not ordaining women, there was a a, a biblical defense for it, right? I mean, assumedly yes. if somebody asked, like that would be the response. Yes, they point to First Timothy too. So how does that how would you communicate to somebody who says, like, okay, as Dan has said, like Aren't we just picking and choosing? Like, why now say, oh, well, we're interpreting the Bible differently? One book that I've really been influenced by is called Why Not Women? 
It was written by Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission. And then there was a scholar whose last name was Smith who did the heavy exegetical work using the scriptures. So the two of them co-authored this book that's just tremendous. And in this book, when you get to the exegesis of the 1 Timothy chapter 2 passage, he says, when Paul writes, I do not allow a woman to teach, he says, this can also be translated, I do not allow that woman to teach. That Paul had a specific woman in mind that he's writing to Timothy about, that don't let her teach because she's a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. And if that's correct, that's a big, big game changer sure. for me. And so I bought into that translation of it, and it has a lot of good scholarship behind it. But that doesn't mean that everybody's going to agree with yeah. that translation either. Yeah. And they'll assign New Testament scholars from Alliance Theological Seminary the job of exegeting these passages and to show why they believe what they believe hmm. these passages to say. It, it will be painstaking. It really will. Sure. So I have a question, and I'll first say that this is something that I, this topic is something that I don't know very much about, and I've been very curious about it, and, and I think what you just said, Bill, sheds a lot of light on a possible interpretation of that passage, because I've never heard anyone actually mm -hmm. address that passage. Mm -hmm. um, but my question is, you know, we've got 2,000 years of church history and 2,000 years of translating, and it just, it feels a little odd to me to think that we would need to go through all this intensive scholarship to quote-unquote, and I, I, I use this word loosely, change the translation that's been mm -hmm. in use for so long. Yeah. And it makes me worry, not that that, that translation is wrong, the, the new one, because I don't know anything about it, but like, is it feasible that societal change could then preempt intense scholarship to tweak the meaning of Bible verses different from what it's been sure. or what it's been understood to be for hundreds or thousands of years, and how can we safeguard against that? Uh, I don't know. I just I think that's a concern. good question. It's an excellent I mean, question. it's on the back of everyone's mind who's a thoughtful Christian. This is where I really love Christianity. There has always been a strong core of Bible scholars who won't budge. They'll just say, this is what it says. The Bible judges us. We don't judge the Bible. I just love that about Christianity. When I think of women who serve in the Bible, who stand up in leadership, it's often because men didn't. It's often because people are, are so far from God that there's no other option, that somebody's got to speak, someone's got to do it. And I'm thankful for the consecration process, and I don't feel held back in any capacity to, to be a leader. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I have had the opportunity to learn and that I believe many more women who serve in churches on a, on a director, leader position uh, officially on staff, but I, I've seen a lot of damage. Dan has talked about it before. There's a lot of damage when people don't get trained, and there's a lot of damage when people have training and, and use it as a, a personal tool to have authority, and, and it becomes an authority trip of who's in charge and what, and then we, we just get so off from where God wants us to be, and that is more like seeking him, not who's in charge, and knowing his heart rather than 
who has more control. And, and so when I read the Bible, I, I don't feel held back. I feel like God has called me to do all sorts of things, and I don't need a title. One of the most powerful, impactful things I've ever said to me when I was felt backed into a corner, like, how are we going to change things? I'm just a woman. I can't, I don't have any authority to say or do anything over all these other leaders. And someone said, but you have God's authority, and mm. I don't need Amen. to be held back. God can do anything, and he can use someone, even as anyone, and we don't need to have all the fight over who's in charge. <laughs> well, even Jesus said, do not call any man father. And he was mm -hmm. getting at, you don't give titles. That's it. There's mm -hmm. just, don't worry about the titles. And then the government says, well, we want to know what your title is so that we can determine whether or not you're tax exempt mm -hmm. on your property. But I like what Amber said. It's really not about titles. If you or I are just sick as can be and we're at death's door, I don't need the Pope to come in and pray for me. Mm. I, I need somebody with faith to come in and pray with me. And it's the prayer of faith that God answers. Mm. Mm -hmm. That actually brings to mind a question I was thinking about early on in, in this recording. Ordination, consecration, they're the terms we use, uh, and they describe a process that we use. What is the biblical description of, of servants or, or processes or titles or whatever um is it kind of like these are these are things that we've devised but really you know we have to have some kind of have some kind of structure for operating in the world that we live in but really the bible doesn't kind of get into these weeds that we've gotten ourselves into or, or is there something else i don't know i just i think there's two answers to that and I, i'd like someone else to answer to the to the bible portion but on the structure part of it, when we don't structure things, mm -hmm. when we don't create mm -hmm. pathways for people to become leaders, for the ability to weed out things that could cause damage, people who, mm -hmm. who just say, I'm a pastor, but have no accountability, no process of learning, those things cause damage. And, and it's like what missionaries struggle with when they go to places that, that have no structure and everything's, you know, the Wild West and oh man, Satan takes advantage of that and life is crazy. But on the Bible side, there's a lot of passages that talk about leadership and maybe someone else wants, so I'm not always I talking. Think a, I think a Titus, and then I don't have the exact reference, and then First Timothy, given the requirements for you know elders in the church, which mm -hmm. can also be translated as pastors. Mm -hmm. You know, that'd be a husband of one wife and you know not a new convert. There's this whole, like a, like a laundry list of good qualities and not not given over to anger, not given to drunkenness, these good, kind of things. Good manager of the, of his family, mm -hmm. sure. Sort of more character qualifications. More, yeah, more more like more qualifications of character than of like you have to go through this process. To, That's right. But I mean, you look at the people that I see in the life of Paul, Timothy, Titus. Mm -hmm. Maybe not even physically present, but writing them letters, investing in their lives, and you kind of see wasn't they weren't in this process of they weren't they wouldn't say like well I'm in the coordination process with Paul right now and I have two years until I finish and I have to do <laughs> I have this checklist of things but he was doing that with them yes and he was living out that that example that we're doing would they even have used obviously ordination is an English word so they wouldn't mm -hmm. use that but would they have had similar terminology beyond you know Paul was an apostle but Timothy wasn't um, would they've had like a a terminology for him of like oh he's He's a an elder, or yes. he's a. If you look at the book of Timothy, you can see that 
He's considered an overseer. Mm-hmm. Overseer. Okay, yeah. Elder. I just think this is what's so beautiful about the church. If you take that church in Jerusalem, which I think was at least, I mean, barest minimum 20,000 people, maybe 50,000 people are in this church. And what do they have for a hierarchy? They, they have apostles, deacons, <laughs> and they're raising up elders. Yeah. And, and that's it. You know, that's a big organization to have just so flat of a line, mm-hmm. which I find very exciting. It means that everybody matters in the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and in the church. It's, are you serving? Are you loving people? Are you living mm-hmm. by faith? Are you on your knees praying? If you're doing those things, you're right before God. He's He's going to honor that. I wanted to... The verse came to mind, and I wanted to share, and I couldn't remember the reference. You can edit me out for saying that. <laughs> so this is Second Timothy two fifteen. Uh, Paul saying to Timothy, "Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly yeah. handles the word of truth." And doesn't that mm-hmm. describe any of us in the ministry? Who we want to be mm-hmm. a worker that's approved, uh, not only by God but has the approval of those authorities over us, mm-hmm. who handles the word correctly. You know? That's what I want to be. That's what I want. Mm-hmm. hope I, my life reflects it. And that's really what this process is. It's helping you understand theology correctly, that you're not like a president that cuts out the verses that, that you don't Good like. Old you're Thomas not Jefferson. The, you're, not, <laughs> you know, you're not just making stuff up. Like This helps you get on track. It helps you have... And what Paul was writing about to his people or the very theology we study, one of some of the many questions like, that deal with what we believe and how we teach it. So it, it's based on scripture to help us understand it and to, and to effectively lead in the way that Paul was encouraging his leaders to lead. Paul starts out, a lot of his epistles, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> he, he could say a well-trained rabbi <laughs> who's memorized the entire Old Testament. You know, listen up, bub. But he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. It's true. I, and he counts it all as, uh, as, as laws. Mm, yeah. It was all poop. It was all <laughs> poop. <laughs> well, let's get in to my colleague's rock, uh, the part of the show where we get to brag about the amazing people that we work with. Bill, I really appreciate it. Last week, you opened it up to literally the people that we work with. It doesn't have to be staff members. It's people who are working mm-hmm. for Jesus Christ. I, I love that. Um, it doesn't have to be somebody on staff. A person that's been a great blessing in our life, um, Nicole. She showed up at our house, mm-hmm. put a bag at our door of an art project with a little handwritten note for our daughter. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that during these times are are so sweet when the church just reaches out, reaches out to each other. I know she's not the only one. I see lots of people doing stuff like that, mm. chalking up other people's yards and saying that they mm. care, and yeah, everything. So. Well, it's National, uh, what is it? Administrative Professional. Administrative oh. Professional. And no, Earth Day. Is it also Earth Day? It all, it's also Earth wow, Day. Wow, happy Earth Day, everybody. <laughs> that was a joke. Well, then no. I'm not going to talk about Nita and Donna. I'm going to talk about the Earth. <laughs> uh, today is National Administrative Professionals Day. Yeah. Um, so I want to shout out to to Nita and Donna at the front desk, um, who they are just the most welcoming people. Yeah, they and are. when yes. this church reopens, uh, I hope that lots of people from the community get to interact with them because they are just like you walk in those doors and they're like happy you're there, mm-hmm. um, and they want to help you however they can. That's awesome. 
So I'd like to give a shout out to Nancy Hellstrom. Hmm. She taught adult ed last Sunday, picking up where she had left off in the book of Hebrews. In particular, chapter 11 is what she's teaching from for this whole semester. So she did it on Zoom. I believe there were 15 of us that came to the class, which is the normal size of that class. There was the perk of Nancy's mother and father attended the class mm. from, I'm not no. sure, I think they live in Wisconsin. Neat. They attended and participated. But Nancy just did such an outstanding job that it, mm. it was like about 95% as good as just being there in person. Yeah. It was really awesome. What a great teacher she is. We're we're blessed to have her. I was thinking of Bruce and Shirley, and I'm just grateful for them. The amount of time they've been pouring into the food pantry, and mm. you know they're, I think, sheltering in place at home, not really going out, and that's very understandable. But just grateful to them that they put this structure in place, done so much work on the food pantry, so that we can go out and do you know, this drive up food pantry and that there are people like Nikki and Janine and Judy who are also doing amazing work in that way. Uh, I think just really, really cool. What a great way to show practical love, the love of Christ to our community. Uh, I don't think that I shouted out to him last week, although I did already compliment his work. But shout out to Jason Tipner who designed our yard signs. Mm. They just look so good. I yeah. assume he probably also designed the food pantry ones. Yes, he did. Yeah. They look great. Uh, they look really good. They're really mm -hmm. eye-catching. He just does such great work, and he's such a such a nice guy and, and offers his talents and his resources so freely. So thanks, Jason. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Other shout-out to to Leah, Scott's yeah. wife, who's currently watching uh, Dan and Amber's daughter. <laughs> True. Yeah, <laughs> she's currently you. coloring, and we told her we'd be an hour. It's been an hour and a half. So. Um, We'll give her three muffins. Thank you, Leah. <laughs> can't eat them. Save one for me here. You're the best. Please. You're the best producer that we've got. Um, listeners, if you would like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, um, and babysitters to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. Uh, let's wrap this up. Last week, I mentioned that Bill called me while I was grocery shopping and told me about a book that he read that he absolutely despised. Um, so you left us in suspense this whole week. Welcome to our closing segment for the week, Bill's Book Reviews. Bill, what did you read? All right. I've got two books. One I'm going to praise and one I'm going to give a thumbs down to. And it kills me to give a thumbs down to this author because I just think the world of her. Anne Graham Lotz writes the best books. She's Billy Graham's daughter. And she wrote this book about Jesus in me. And I got it out of the library. It's a new book. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm Ann Graham, this will be great. And I got to page 50 and realized I, I'm just reading nothing here. This, this, I, I started getting upset because I thought, I don't think she wrote this book. She's probably think, a ghostwriter. I think somebody else wrote this book, and I just slapped her name on it to sell the copies. But I'm really disappointed in it. So if you see it in the new book section of the library... Leave it there. Uh, leave it there. It's it's <laughs> or buy it and throw it really away. Really, <laughs> a big disappointment. But the book that I read that I do hope you'll find it. It's not a brand new book. It's a 2011. The author's name is Liz Murray. The title of the book is Breaking Night from Homelessness to Harvard. It's hmm. a story of a girl who grew up in a 
horrible situation. Both her mother and her father were drug addicts. They both have, well, they both died of AIDS, and they left her and her sister to raise themselves. Mm. And it's a story of how kids really do drop through the cracks, that we, we don't catch them all. And yet, in this case, an alternative school came into this young girl's life, and I don't want to say much more, or I'll just ruin the book, but it was a great, great read of what, what can happen when somebody reaches out and shows love to a kid. Wow. I like your book reviews better than Amazon reviews. This is All great. right. We do this every week. Sure. I don't know who's writing those. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, cool. Well, that's all we have for today. Bill, you want to open up your book and find us a one-liner we oh, can end yeah. on? While you're, while you're searching for one, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Amber. Thank you, Amber. Thank, thank you very much. And Amber. thank you, Max. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Max. <laughs> uh, Bill, would you like to... to end with a, a one-liner of some kind all right i'm gonna use this i want my children to have all the things i couldn't afford then i want to move in with them <laughs> <laughs>